Acts chapter 9. We're going to get through the second half together uh, this morning. Um, as you noticed on the bulletin, the title of this morning's message is uh, Recycle. And you guys might be like, oh great, pastor's going to get on a recycling kick. Yep, here we go, guys. Um, you guys know there's a growing, uh, increasingly uh, effort to recycle. For you who live here in Kakana, they give you big blue bins, and I'm very thankful for those bins, but they're full every week because they've brainwashed the Churchill family. You need to recycle everything. So uh, we've been doing that. So any product that's out there today, paper, glass, many metals, uh, autos and trucks, uh, machine parts, and even our old cell phones are asking for. They're recycling everything. And uh, Jared probably could attest to this, but even on job sites, people are breaking in and stealing copper because they can go recycle it and get cash uh, for that type of stuff. So <laughs> recycling is a big thing today. We see the reality of the thrift stores, why they're thriving, why we see new ones opening all the time. Garage sales are a big thing. So re- recycling is very popular today. There's a guy by the name of Dennis Weaver, a part of the McLeod uh, uh, fame. He built an Earthship uh, home in Colorado. How many of you guys have seen that before? YouTube, it's pretty cool. Um, It's environmentally friendly. It's over 10,000 square feet big, okay, this home. And it was completely built from tires, aluminum cans, and other recycled materials, okay? You guys might be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Well, the cool part is this house is totally recycled, and he's selling it for $3.3 million. That's the crazy part. (laughs) So this morning, I want to talk about recycled people. Okay, Not recycling, that was enough on recycling. But the reality of recycled people. And I want you guys to... um, (laughs) Okay. I know none of you guys caught it. This week I put a trailer on my Facebook uh, for this movie that was made in 1973 called Soylent Green. Um, I don't know if any of you guys watched it. Nobody, you guys did watch it. Nobody liked my post. I'm like, no one actually looked at it. Well, <laughs> this movie, Soylent Green, the year is 2022. All the water in the world, all the soil in the world is poisoned, airborne, pollution going on. There's this year-round uh, heat wave from the greenhouse effect. Robert Thorne in the movie, who is played by Charleston Heston, is this New York Police Department. Uh, detective and he wanted to break the case in this movie so they had this soy the bean okay uh, lent the soy lint uh, this red and yellow high energy vegetable concentrate that people could drink um, to, to be spared from the effects of what was going on in the world um, so this new product, this Soylent Corporation, made this Soylent Green, uh, marketed as this very high-energy plankton, much more nutritious, but short supply, which ends up leading to a lot of riots and craziness. And it ends up being made of cadavers. So it's not the kind of recycled people I want to talk about this morning. You guys need to check out, I laughed so hard when I saw the trailer for it. Um, anybody actually watch the whole movie? There are a few. You remember that? Yeah. It was crazy. Anyways. um, Recycled people. What does recycle mean? It means to adapt or convert something to new use. That's what it means. So when I say we're going to talk about recycled people, is that possible? 
Absolutely. And nothing's impossible with our God. So God is the master at recycling and reshaping lives into something new. So God sees the person who exhibits the most misguided, mis, uh, or disreputable, or even disgraceful behaviors as being recyclable. So as we see nearly um, anything and everything being recyclable, God sees people as being recyclable. So I guess we could say God is green, okay? <laughs> um, Saul would be such a person. Would you guys agree? Last week we looked at the first 19 verses together. He needed to be reclaimed. He needed to be recycled. And that's exactly what happened. This man who was very religious, okay, to the point that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he didn't like this Christian sect, these people who were following and loving Jesus and preaching that he had died on a cross, that he was buried and he rose again, that he indeed was God, the Savior, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And his whole goal was to terminate the church, the people of the way, to have them killed or imprisoned for this faith to stomp it out before it got too far. And we saw the Lord step in. And the one thing I really, I don't know about you guys, but I really appreciated about Paul is he responded to the Lord. He wanted to know him and he wanted to know what he wanted him to do. When God opened his eyes to the truth, it wasn't like, oh, great. Now I'll just do my thing. I know the truth. No, I want to know you and I want to know what you want me to do. And I love that part of his conversion. And really, the Christian life is both individual and social, if we think about it. See, God is an example, or sorry, Saul's a good example for us of what God um, wants to do in the life of all people, I believe. So having an individual relationship with Christ. You guys know that God desires none to perish? Okay? He wants to know you. And also, there's the social relationship with Christians. You see, a changed man seeks company among other changed people. Okay? We can't judge whether a person's saved or not. We don't know each other's hearts. But there's fruit we look for. And when you're really born again, you want to be around other people who are born again. You want to go to church. You want to be in fellowship. That's just what happens. Even if people are different, there's just that connection that you have in your family. I remember when I got baptized in the Spirit, all I wanted to do was be at church and be around other believers and to be honest, a lot of them were pretty nerdy. You know, but I didn't care. You're my peeps. You're part of my family now. I just want to be around you. Even though, worldly speaking, we got nothing in common. You know, We got Christ in common. And I really believe that's one of the fruits you just see in somebody that's saved. You want to be in fellowship. So let's pick it up this morning in uh, verse 20. And we're hopefully going to get through the rest of the chapter here this morning. It tells us in verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. This is speaking of Paul. We just read earlier, he just got saved. He would just convert. He was just wanting to kill Christians. Now he's preaching Christ that he is the Son of God. Verse 21, then all who heard, they were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose? so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength. And he confounded the Jews that dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. 
Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him in, or brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Isn't this cool? Verse 21, or 20, um, immediately we see Saul here. He began to preach in the synagogues. So he's serving the gospel with the same zeal in which he used formerly to persecute it. Okay? And we also see that between verses 21 and 22 here, we find Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 to 19. You can listen or you can turn there. But Paul wrote to the church in Galatia and he testifies here and he tells us in Galatians 1.15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So Jesus became the center of Saul's uh, worldview. Okay? Um, some make Jesus the cherry on the top of their Sundays. He doesn't want to be, or just to top off your life. He wants to be the center of everything. Why the dramatic pause, Pastor? Because you need to understand, he wants to be the center of everything in your life. That's what it's all about. I don't care if you hear anything else this morning. You need to get that, guys doesn't matter where you're at with God. That's reality. That's truth. That's what your maker is asking of you. We also see in verse 22, read it again here, it says, but Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is Jesus the Christ. So this is, you know, <laughs> this enemy of the way is now showing the way. <laughs> I love this. Okay, he's showing that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life. 
So his escape from Damascus, verse 23, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Okay, He was wanting to kill Christians. Now that he's a Christian, they want to kill him. But their plot, you guys know that this has just happened 2,000 years ago. This is happening today. There are believers in Christ Jesus just because of their faith, just because of their faith in him, will be put to death today. That is a fact. That is reality. It's still going on. Jesus said it would go on. He tells us in verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples, they took him by night and let him down in his, uh, this large basket. So this hamper-sized big basket, he's let down from a window uh, of a house that was built into the wall. That makes us think of what? You guys remember Rahab and the spies? I think about that every time I read Saul going, down. I'm like, cool. I wish we had big gates, walled cities, you know, and seeing how, that'd be so cool to have. Anyways, um, the right handoff or the right hand of fellowship here, uh, verses 26 to 30 speaks into, did you guys catch in verse 26? Um, these guys with Saul, they were afraid and they did not believe, okay? That painful, but natural if you think about it. They, they were skeptical of the Saul, okay, who got converted, right? Destroyer turned disciple, persecutor, now a preacher. Really? Can we really trust this man? What's being said? And we're told he went to Jerusalem. Okay, so he went uh, back to Jerusalem. He got to spend 15 days with Peter and James. Uh, James is the half-brother of Jesus. We read of that in Galatians 1, 18 and 19. Uh, it was there that he received his commission to be an apostle to the Gentile world. You guys can turn a few chapters over to chapter 22 in Acts. We see this. We'll pick it up in verse 17. It says, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem, this is Paul speaking, I was praying in the temple and I was in a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that uh, in every synagogue I am imprisoned and I beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And then look at verse 27. But Barnabas, oh sorry, we're back here. I'm back to chapter 9, verse 27. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Okay, I love Barney, not the purple dinosaur. Um, Barnabas here, and it, he, it also tells us that he declared to them, so he's speaking on his behalf, how, hey, he's seen the Lord on the road, and how he's spoken to him, and how he preached boldly um, in Damascus uh, in the name of Jesus. So people are uh, instrumental in the recycling of products. And people are instrumental in the recycling of persons. You understand that? I often wonder, where would Paul be without Barnabas? Okay? His name means encouragement. He was a brother that just came alongside, hey, you know, everybody's against you, even people in the church, <laughs> other Christians. Hey, I'll, I'll, take you, I'll take you in, I'll be there for you. 
Uh, kind of like Ananias, we, we know that he was once a reluctant recycler. Look back in verse 13 of chapter 9 here. And I, Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, speaking of Saul, how, he, uh, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So he was in a place of being reluctant. I don't know. You're asking me to do what? You want me to go talk to who? You're crazy, Lord. I don't, you know. And the Lord spoke to him and he went and we, we covered that last week. But just as we sometimes don't bend over to pick up a penny or we see that plastic, you know, bottle in the garbage and we don't want to go, you know, it's a waste of our time. It's really not worth it. Um, same with some people. Sometimes we wonder, is it really worth picking them up? Is it really worth taking the time? Now Barnabas is used in this process. Barnabas vouches here for Saul, which I think is awesome. I don't know about you guys, but I love when a brother or sister will stick up for me. Hey, you know, he's my bro. I'm with him. And I think that's what people need in life. You know, thick and thin. And there are going to be people that mess up. You know, but it's one of those things. Hey, I'm there for you. You know, no matter what you do, I'm there for you. I am for you. That's the point. We're not for what people do because we're going to mess up and we're not okay with sin, but we're for people. So Barnabas, I think, is a great example for you and I. Okay, so he vouches for Saul's sincerity and his effectiveness in Damascus. So some qualifications. Saul had seen the Lord. He spoke to him. He spoke boldly for him. I like the signs. You guys ever see the signs? We buy ugly houses. I love that. So what are these entrepreneurs actually saying? We'll buy your house that's run down, that's a wreck. That is no good. Well, they're saying, hey, we'll, we'll buy your shabby, run-down you know, house for pennies on the dollars. We'll fix it up. We'll flip it, and we'll make a handsome profit off of it. So what you see is far too gone to save. They see the promise in every ugly house. You see verse 30 here. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. So we're not going to give up on you, Paul. We know a lot of people are saying this about you. You've done all these horrible things. Really unforgivable, but God forgave you. I guess we have to too. You know? Hey, we're with you. We'll get you out of town. We'll help you do what God's asking you to do. So for his own safety, they took him to the port city of Caesarea. They put him on a boat for home. Uh, Tarsus is his hometown. We know that from chapter 22, verse 3. So wonder what they thought of this change in his hometown. We, we've heard about you, Saul, what's been going on, the great Saul persecuting the church, and now you're one of the followers, you know? Um, church growth um, always intrigues me, and I love verse 31 here, because it really speaks into it. It says, Then the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Isn't that a cool verse, guys? Pretty simple, right? So when it's God that moves us, it is best for us, for where we're going, and for those that we leave behind. 
You see, they grew upward towards God in edification. They grew outward towards men in multiplication. And I love this word here, walking. Okay, uh, They were walking in the fear of the Lord. Um, it's an action. It's a movement. It's momentum. There's a lot of Christians out there that aren't walking at all. You see no forward movement in their lives. What's going on? Okay. And I think a lot of people, they kind of get to a plateau. You know, I got saved. I got stoked on fire, seeking, studying. I just kind of plateaued. You know, I feel personally, if I've plateaued, I'm backslidden. I actually think I'm going backwards because God's promised to complete a work. He's always sanctifying. He's always changing us to be more like Jesus. We should be growing. And when we see a brother or sister that's kind of plateaued, we should be praying for them and asking for opportunities to speak into their lives, to encourage them. Okay? Um, so this is something we saw in the early church here. And this is why it was growing. They had this momentum. So this is really a part of really a child's normal development, right? You want to see those things happening. So what four things caused growth in the churches throughout the region? Well, there, it was a peaceful church, right? They were at peace. Also, it was a peer church. They had a fear of the Lord. I see a lot of churches today that care more about what others think, what their congregants think. We have to please men. No, we please God, okay? And I think that's one of the blessings that come. Also, the power, there was, it was a powerful church. They were edified. They were strengthened. Also, a progressive church. That's that walking. So with Saul now home in Tarsus, the narrative focuses once more on the Apostle Peter. So we'll pick it up here in verse 32. So after recording the experiences now of Stephen, Philip, and Saul... Okay, Luke now turns us to Peter in verse 32. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all the parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Annas, and, or who had, uh, bedridden, had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, uh, Annas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So Peter evangelizes the coastal cities here. He stopped at Lydda, visited believers there. Lydda is the direct capital of Samaria in the New Testament, uh, New Testament era, um, known as Lod in the Old Testament. And again, look at verse 34. Okay, I love this. Peter said, uh, Annas, Jesus Christ heals you. So Peter lays the emphasis on the fact that Christ himself is the healer. That shows humility. You know, I have a really hard time when people say, hey, check out Todd White. He's got this healing ministry or Benny Hinn, you know. It's just so many times when somebody takes self, look at what I'm doing, this gift I have. I don't see that biblically anywhere. And a lot of times, I don't want to judge, but those ministries, they get really perverted. There's false teachings often in there. It's exalting a man rather than Christ. And we want to have Christ. Because God is on the move. Okay? God is alive. Healings take place today. 
Okay? I've seen him right here in our own backyard. Okay? I've seen him in recent history. And the people that God used in those healings, do we hear about them? No. What do we hear about? Jesus healed me. Who's getting the glory? And I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I see that biblically. So, um, McLaren said this, okay? Um, the herald is not to blow his own name or praises through his trumpet, but as kings, and be forgotten when the royal progress has come. I like that. So all eyes really are on, you know, say you're at a wedding. <laughs> the musicians start playing, right? Everybody say, hey, music, this is beautiful. Talented musicians. But the second the bride enters the room, where does the attention go? You know, it's right to her. Who cares about these musicians anymore? You know, it's all about her. So they turn their backs completely on the musicians. Um, and that's the way it should be with you and I, guys. Christ is to get the glory. We're to point people to Jesus. Um, mothers, I think a great plaque for your kids' rooms would be this one little phrase we read here. Arise and make your bed. And wouldn't it be cool if they did exactly what this guy did? He immediately got up. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. Love you, moms. Anyways, so make your bed. Roll up your mat, right, on which he slept for how long? Eight years. Could you imagine? Man, I get the flu or something, and I'm in bed for just a few days. That's, oh, man. I couldn't even imagine years of that. So immediately doing for himself at last what others must have done for him all that time. And Jesus did the same thing as we read earlier in Mark chapter 2. Same type of healing, the paralytic. Now we're going to be introduced to a gal by the name of Tabitha. Uh, let's look at verse 36. At Joppa there was a certain uh, disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Um, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her and laid her in the upper room, and since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And then Peter arose, and he went with them. And when they had come... They brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out. He knelt down and he prayed, and turning to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Now Joppa, or Gaffa, it's the main port city in Judea. Um, we read in verse 36 of the deeds of Dorcas, um, full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. 
Isn't that cool to be known for? Hey, who was this gal that died? You know, why are we calling on Peter? What's up with her? Hey, I would love if that's all that said it of me at the end of my life. Okay, uh, her name Tabitha. Okay, the Jews would know her by. Luke provides the Greek readers. This is who he's writing to. Uh, her Greek name, which is Dorcas, and then it, in the Aramaic, it's Gazelle. Uh, it says, which she did. I love that little phrase in 36. Okay, these are the good works, the deeds that she did. So she didn't just talk about doing them. Do you guys know talkers? Always talking about doing the right thing or doing something. They never get around. I love this about her. She just did it. She did it. Um, A lovely soul gathered love by giving love. Why were all these people there mourning her death? It's because she loved. She loved others. Some of us feel very alone in life. I'd ask you, are you loving on others? I don't know. It's easy to love people that love you, isn't it? It's just part of life. Um, And then we see the deliverance of Dorcas in uh, 38 to 43 here. Um, This really was a three-hour journey by foot for Peter. He got word. He went. Um, The widows are there, another instance of care of the widows by the Christian church. These were believers. Um, And what were these widows doing? They were showing. In the Greek, it literally means they were showing off (laughs) their wardrobe. Hey, (laughs) look, these are the things that uh, Tabitha made for us. And we all treasure mementos of deceased loved ones, don't we? It's just in our nature we do that. But do we express appreciation while they're living? I think that's the most important. Oh, I wish I would have. If we only had more time. Now do it now. Do it now, saints. Uh, we're told in verse 40 that Peter knelt down and he prayed, fully aware that healing would not come from him, but only through the power of Christ, right? That's why he's asking God. Um, Tabitha, arise. And that's just like the master did in the house of Jairus, right? Where did he learn how to do this? He saw Jesus do it. You know, Talitha Kuma, the little girl, I say to you, arise. Mark chapter 5, verse 41. In verse 42, it says, Many believed on the Lord. So all the results are to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So we find Jesus here. That's the cool part. Even though he's risen, Lord, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Okay, we see Jesus. We find Jesus. Okay, this morning in the home of Annas, we find Jesus in the heart of Dorcas. We find Jesus in the hope of the disciples. We find Jesus in the hand of Peter. We find Jesus in this harvest of converts. Jesus is very much still alive and at work. In verse 43, why does Luke discuss Peter at this point? Why would he even bring him up? Okay. We're about to get on to Saul's and Paul's missionary journeys. Great impact for the... Why bring this up? Um, Joppa. Okay, it's a city that reminds us uh, once of the prophet Jonah, doesn't it? Who went down to Joppa to flee to Tarshish instead of uh, his ministry to the Gentiles. So as God called Jonah to carry his message to the Gentiles, God was about to call Peter to do the same thing in Acts chapter 10. God's getting ready to do something big in the life 
of Peter. And this is a very important segue leading up to the official entrance of uh, the gospel to the Gentile world, which we see in Cornelius's uh, home, which we'll be in in the next couple weeks. Um, so God sees people as they may be. Do you guys understand that? Why bother going to the Gentile world? They're a bunch of non-believers anyways. What's the point? No, there's potential there. That's why God's still sending missionaries today. That's why we're still called to fulfill the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? So God is the browser in an old estate auction who happens upon a rickety old rocking chair with broken rungs, six cracked, uh, caked with black enamel paint, and assorted springs are pushing up through the once seat cushion. But God sees that rocker stripped of the layers of paint. God sees new supports. God sees a fine leather seat. God sees a beautiful refinished oak rocker refitted to rock children to sleep for years to come. God doesn't see how we see, guys. There's potential in every single human being. God has a purpose for every single person he gave life to. And shame on us when we don't realize that, when we look down on others. I want you guys to turn to Jeremiah 18 with me. I want us to remember the story this morning of the potter and the clay that's told by Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18 We'll pick it up in verse 2. He says, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, verse 3, and there he was, making something at a wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then verse 5, the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And that's what it's all about, guys. Are you in the hands of your maker, letting him do what he wants to do with you? Or are you in a place saying, forget you, God. I got my own agenda. I got my own wants. I got my own kingdom I'm living for. If that's your heart, if that's where you stand before your God, that's a scary place to be, guys. You see, the story says here, really off of verse 4, the jar did not turn out as he had hoped. So the potter squashed the jar into a lump of clay and he started over. And God does that with us. Some of you this morning have recently gone through that season. Some of us think that just happens when I get saved. Yeah, that does. You're a new creation. You start something new and beautiful. But in my experience, there's been a lot of, a lot of times where, Lord, hey, we're starting over, Landon. <laughs> something else I want to make, want to do. And we need to be okay with that. It might hurt, but it's his call. He can do whatever he wants. And I do believe it's beautiful when we let him do that. It turns out wonderful. 
So God is the master at recycling lives and reshaping them into something good and useful. So we would do well to see that truth. We would do well to see ourselves as others and others as recyclable. Okay, and see ourselves as recyclers. Okay, who has God placed in your life that he wants you to work with? Who wants you to pray for them, to disciple them, to point them to Jesus? You see, there is no, no one of too little worth or too far gone to be reclaimed and recycled for the glory of God. Okay, And this should really bring us good cheer, brothers and sisters. So next week, we're going to get into chapter 10. I encourage you guys, uh, read ahead. Uh, There's going to be some good stuff there. Let's stand. I don't know if any of you guys were worried this morning about our topic being on recycling, but God is faithful. He does things beyond what we could even imagine. It's the beauty of our God. Um, So we'll pray and I'll send you guys out this morning. Father, again, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for uh, just these examples, these accounts that have been laid out for us, especially in the last few weeks. Lord, seeing people stand in the truth, even though it was going to mean their certain death. (laughs) Uh, Because people hate you, Jesus. It's still going on today all over the world. And we want to take a moment and just lift up our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted for your name's sake. Encourage them, strengthen them today, Father. And we pray many would be coming to know you, being converted just like Saul, that they would go back and preach your name, Father, to those who need to hear. Help us to do the same. Help us to see others as you see them too. God, not to give up. You've asked us to pray. Lord, you've asked us to love. Help us to do that well for your glory, for your name's sake. God, And we thank you that you're in the business of making all things new. Lord, not just recycling. Father, you do so much more beyond anything we could think or imagine, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you don't give up on us, God. And I do pray, Lord, if we've gotten sidetracked, let us run back to your arms. Lord, to be in your hands, there's no better place. Even if it's uncomfortable, we know that you're up to something. God, and you may be reshaping our lives, God. But if it means that it's for your glory, we we pray, let it be. And we ask this in your name. Amen? Amen. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified.